I don't know if there is another book that is so exciting to read than the book of Acts. In terms of the things that go on, they just kind of blow your mind. You go to church one day, and the Spirit of God moves, and you end up with 2,000 new people. You go to church another day, and the Spirit of God moves, and you end up with three more people. Amen. You know, I mean, that's quite, that's quite a herd uh, to, try to try to deal with all those. And uh, in the fourth chapter that we've been looking into, um, we're, we're ramping up on uh, the, 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 the power and ministry of Christ followers as it begins, as they begin to tell this, the story, as they simply tell what they have both seen and heard. And uh, they simply just don't have any more sense than to tell people what Jesus did for them. And that's about as basic as you can get in terms of telling uh, people what has God done in, in your life. So in the fourth chapter, we've dealt with issues of uh, initial uh, headbutting with the religious leaders. We've seen uh, the power of, uh, of prayer. Uh, and the courage of the disciples, uh, John in particular. And so then we come to uh, verse 23 of the fourth chapter. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. Otherwise, we're probably going to maybe maybe late. If not, just listen real close as we move along. So verse 23, Acts 4. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth, sea, and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then there's this quotation from an Old Testament portion of Scripture, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And they prayed. The place they were, or after they, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, that's a powerful, powerful portion of Scripture. We're going to see if we can't just unpack it a bit. Um, John Piper is a, uh, uh, a writer, a pastor, um, a teacher from uh, Minnesota, Minneapolis. Sticks uh, to my mind it was Bethlehem Baptist Church, but whatever, whatever the particular, it was a Baptist background church, if I recall. 
And and he has he's written a number. I don't know if you've ever read any of his books. That name rings a bell at all. He has a couple of books. Desiring God, very powerful, very powerful. Looking in, take, looking into, you know, our our what is our passion? What is our drive? Um, there's another book that I enjoy equally as much, and it's called When I Don't Desire God. And that's just kind of the counterpoint to if you have passion. What happens when you don't have the passion to desire God? What about that? Anyway, uh, one of the one of the statements that he has made that I think was is helpful is uh, appropriate for us when we look at this particular portion of Scripture. And here's his quote. I think we have. Yeah, let's see. Did I get it? Oh yeah, there. If you do not know this, this almost has a rhyme to it. Okay. If you do not know what life is for, you will not know what prayer is for. If you do not know that life is war. You will not know what prayer is for. It has an Al Sharpton ring to it, if that rings a bell to you. Uh, but it just it kind of like it's got a lilt to it, you know. If you don't know that life is war, you will not know what prayer is for. In the fourth chapter of this particular book of Acts, opposition is rising for these Christ followers who are simply speaking about what they have seen and heard. That's referenced in verse 20. So when that happens, what do they do? What's their response? Do they uh, get into a fight over it? Will they hire a lawyer to assure their right of free speech? This is what we might do, but let's see what they do. Will they organize a march for Yeshua or, or the anointed one, the Christos? What, what will they do? And it's interesting that their first resort, first thing they do, First thing is they resort to prayer. It's not, it's not to get into a fight. It's not to get into intellectual battles. It's to pray. And as that is their response from this portion of Scripture, there are several characteristics of that prayer that I want to look at. This is not the first time that we've looked at the issue of prayer. I know I've looked at it from a variety of different angles, but this portion of Scripture lays out some very helpful things first uh, about that. First one is this that their prayer was united. It says, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. It was united, united. Now, I know that we can pray individually, and that's a precious privilege to know that at any time, at any place, you and I can have access to Almighty God through the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, and we have access to the Father. That's a precious privilege. But there's something powerful and maybe even more powerful when there comes this united sense of prayer, when people work together. You can, you can fight for a particular cause as one person, one digit in the thing. But when you get a herd of people, a gaggle of people, a crowd of people, all focused, it has an energy to that synergy when they just kind of pulls it all together. I understand that on, on some Saturdays in Happy Valley, there are 106,000 plus people that get together for one particular purpose. It's to root for Penn State. We are Penn State. And they just back and forth. And it's like a big party. 106,000 people having a big party. They are there, and while it technically they probably are not 
thoroughly united. At least they're there for a common purpose, and that's to celebrate the day and celebrate the team and cheer for the team and all that, all that kind of thing. They were united in that they raised their voices together in prayer to God. I suppose you can be united as one person. Otherwise, I guess you'd be schizophrenic if you weren't. But you can be. But there's something to be said for the place of connecting together with other people to unitedly pray for whatever it is that is the focus point for you in that particular setting. Their prayer was united. It was something that was done together. Obviously, in, in the ministry of any church, they need to find that place of prayer together. When we concluded our ministry in New Cumberland in 2006, we received a call to go to, as a missionary from the Eastern PA District to the Western PA District, uh, we received that call and we went to the town of Johnstown, Flood City as it was known, or as it is known in terms of its history and heritage. I did, a, I did a phone interview with the leadership team over there. Uh, it wasn't even a Skype. It was just, just a phone interview. And, you know, they worked through it. And, uh, and one of the guys, a good friend named Bob Bear, asked a question. He said, give us a good definition of a prayer meeting. And I said, well, I said, that isn't exactly the model we're doing right now. Because we had switched a little different focus and we're doing more of a cell-based ministry or a small group kind of thing or life groups, whatever. I said, I said, we don't we don't hold one service where everybody comes together for prayer. That was our current model. But I said, we have more people praying now than we did when we had that corporate gathering together. Because there was a united focus, uh kind of hived off. In one sense, we were having multiple site prayer gatherings instead of a combined prayer gathering. We, however, would do uh, once a month a regular praise and prayer time and have that on a Friday night. And we'd spend three, four hours just in praise and prayer and ministry to the body of Christ. So there were those venues in which that united prayer was occurring. But... Uh, Despite my answer to that, they called me to the church anyways, and so that, that's a whole other that's a whole other chapter. But the prayer was united. The second characteristic of that prayer from that portion of scripture is that in verse 24 also their prayer was intense. Intense. It says the scripture says they raised their voices together in prayer to God. I don't know if if you have ever been in this kind of setting. When I was a young person, I had just recently come to the Lord. Maybe I was a Christian for a year. And I remember going to some kind of prayer gathering that was for, it was in anticipation of, uh, at that time, uh, World Vision was big into uh, uh, sponsoring a Korean orphan choir. I don't know if you if you have any history of that, but anyway, they, they, they would bring this choir in, just a powerful choir uh, ministry of children primarily, and, and they would sing, and it's just, just amazing, powerful. But they, they ramped up that event with a prayer event before that, so that they had the prayer support, churches across the, the community. 
When I got to that prayer meeting, one of the things they did was really weird to me because it was something I was just not familiar with. Uh, they said, okay, we're going to take time to pray, and we want you to all pray at the same time. I thought, wow. Uh, so I didn't know what that was all about. I thought, well, I don't know how this is all going to work. And so he said, uh, here, we're, gonna, we're just going to take time to pray. You can pray over these particular items, and one, two, three, go. And just like, it's all like, it's like all over, there's noise and that, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and it was just, it, it was a little bit unsettling because I wasn't used to it. Uh, it when it says they, their prayer was intense, they, they raised their voices. They were all praying uh, at the same time. And I remember, distinctly remember in that event, that I was praying for a little while, and then I, then I ran out of stuff to pray for, and I started listening. I started listening to other people praying, and I thought, oh, that's pretty. And then somebody mentioned something and said, oh, I can pray for that. So I just started right back in. Uh, it was interesting to me that I went to District and Prayer Conference this week, which was held Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I went to that, and in one of the early sessions of prayer, they said, we're going we're gonna to spend some time today. We're going to pray Korean style. And I thought, well, I don't, I don't, I don't speak Korean. How am I going to do this? You know, okay. And they were talking about a kind of prayer where people prayed all at the same time. The thing that I had done back in the mid-60s. I'm starting to date myself on that one. But anyway, but the thing that I've done long ago. And, and now here... X number of years later, here we are, and we're still doing that kind of thing. But there was an intensity to their prayer. I don't know if you associate the word intense with the word prayer. Because sometimes when we pray, we fall asleep, and that's not very intense. Sometimes when we pray, we forget what we're praying for. And so there's a, you know, a, what, what was it? Was I supposed to, I was supposed to pray for somebody. What was it? And you go through a... But there was an intensity. They raised their voices to God. Um, when we moved to New Cumberland, in, in our ministry, moved into this district, there was a fellow who attended the church, and he, he had a key to the church, and he would come over, usually on uh, uh, weekday mornings. Sometimes it wouldn't be on Monday because that was a corporate prayer time for the men, but, but from time to time he would come over in the morning. And on occasion, I would get down to the, to the church and go into the church office there, and uh, uh, Vance would be praying. And you could, before I got to the church, I could hear him. I could hear him praying. And it was like he was, I, I began to wonder if he was mad at God at first. I wasn't quite sure. But there was an intensity to that prayer. And he was crying out on behalf of his family, his kids, and, and, and a variety of different things. Now, I'm not sure all of what that was about. That's not my business. But the point is that he was into that. It was intense. If you were to have a word descriptive of you in your prayer life, would the word be intense? When you think of intensity, you think of things, Emerald Lagasse, ramp, ratchet it up. And not, what's it? Huh? Kick it up. Whatever, just get, get it going, get it going. Get, you know, we're gonna gonna. We don't often use that word descriptive of our prayer, but for this group of people, intensity was a part 
of that. They raised their voices. I know that sometimes when we pray, we just try to be nice and quiet so we don't interrupt anybody. But boy, I tell you, when we prayed the other day, I mean, it was it was like it was like this, like the roof was about ready to raise. You know, some people really got into that and they were they were just crying out to God. And I don't think it was fake. I think it was just flowed from relationship, and they just poured out, and they were culturally comfortable with that point, and they just it just kind of scratched them where they itched. And but that prayer was intense. Another characteristic of prayer is that prayer was word-saturated, word-saturated, particularly verses 25 and 26, which is a quote from an Old Testament portion of Scripture. Verse 25 says, You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your your servant, our father David. And then he quotes from Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. When we pray... One of the one of a powerful way to pray is to utilize the scriptures in our prayer. Sometimes people say, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to pray. I don't I don't I don't know how the words come together. I would suggest to you that there are tools available in our day uh, to help in terms of being able to offer our prayers to God, but But the place and priority of God's word is an important resource and fuel for us. There is a a, a pastoral couple that had been in our district a number of years ago. His name is Dave and Thais King. Dave was pastor at the York Alliance Church. And that's that's quite a number of years ago now. He is now since uh, they're serving an international church in Bangkok or Thailand or something. Well, I know that Bangkok is in Thailand, but I think he's in Bangkok. And uh, he, uh, and particularly his wife, Thais, has written a number of uh, very helpful, practical books that deal with the issue of prayer. And here's one called Prayer, Pray the Word for Your Church. There are uh, a, a number of other resources, Pray the Word for personal uh, use. Uh, this is more for the corporate side of things. But they are all very simple prayers that are basic, that are built upon scriptures so that so if you if you were looking at a particular uh, topic, uh, you would find uh, uh, a lot of wor- verbiage words that might feel or be appropriate. There was one chapter in here. Uh, I was looking for it. And I, I can't find it. But let me let me let me just use this one for, as an illustration point. Here's a chapter, day eleven, of praying for pastors. Well, this might work for pastor appreciation. We'll just give you a jump start on it. So here, so here, here's the encouragement and instruction. Uh, here's here's the language of a suggested prayer. If you, if you don't, if you're not into Lord, I I, don't, I understand the value of spontaneity in prayer. We we're, we highly guard that, but sometimes some of the more powerful, some of the most powerful prayers are prayers that have been written, and you get to re-pray them with meaning, and that that can be a very powerful kind of thing. So here here's her prayer. And I don't know if you can pick up some of the biblical basis for these prayers, but if you're looking for word-saturated prayers, this might be a good resource for you. So here's a, here's a part of the prayer. Heavenly Father, today I come before you with gratitude in my heart for the shepherd that you placed over my church community. Thank you for our pastor or pastors. 
And then uh, the parenthetical thing, pause before the Lord and give thanks for the shepherds that God has placed over your community of faith. As Aaron and Hur held up the arms of Moses. That's a biblical story. Okay, so you're just kind of using the language of it. So this day in prayer, I hold up the arms of my pastor that the people might be one. I ask, Lord, that faith rise up in him, that he might trust you more and more for your words, for your work to be accomplished in and through him. May he overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit and be encouraged to continue to trust you for the things that he has not yet seen come to pass. I ask, Father, that you fill my pastor with the knowledge of your will for our community of faith. Give him spiritual wisdom, insight, and understanding. As he studies your word, open his mind to ever deeper truths. Renew him by your word, and by your word. I pray. I ask in Jesus' name that in all things he might be found worthy of it, calling and praise, uh, calling and please you in all that he does. By the power of the Holy Spirit, may the work of the ministry those things prompted by faith be fulfilled in and through him. May Jesus be glorified through his life and our church community by strengthening, by, by be strengthened by his example. And then there's more that I won't take time to read right now. But, but again, uh, at, at, at the end of that particular chapter, here's, here's a reference. Exodus 17, 12, Romans 15, 13, Hebrews 11, 1, 1 Corinthians 1, I'm sorry, Colossians 1, verses 9 through 12, 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 11 and 12, Psalm 90, verse 17, 86, 17, 1 Corinthians 16, Hebrews 13, Numbers 23, Zechariah 2, 5, John 17, 5, uh, 15, Hebrews 13, 12. What's the point of all this is simply this. Many times we can benefit from the place of God's word, and when we don't know what to pray or how to pray, sometimes even praying back those scriptures to God is okay. How can you get it wrong in terms of prayer to God if you're praying his word? You think you're going to take him by surprise? He says, oh, I don't remember writing that word. No, he doesn't do that. You know, we might forget it, but he's very aware of it. And there's the place of word-saturated prayer. I recommend this. Maybe I'll find a couple of copies of this thing on personal use. Oh, there's an app for that. My wife, my, my, my wife would know about apps. Okay, okay. I worry about appetite. She worries about apps. Okay, so she says there's an app for that. Pray the word. And so just put it on your smartphone, and even if you're not very smart, you got it on your smartphone, and it'll tell you exactly what you need to do. The prayer was word-saturated. And that builds into the whole issue of, of accurate theology, not stinking thinking, but good thinking in terms of the theological basis of things and the doctrine. So their prayer was word-saturated. Another characteristic, verses 27 to 28, their prayer was filled, faith-filled. Look at, at verse 27. Interesting, interesting portion. Indeed, Peter says, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. That is history. God at work in history. That, that's, that's the account of the Gospels, of what happened in that last week. The conspiracy that occurred between the Gentiles and primarily to the Jew, from the Jews, to just try to bring down this rabble-rouser Jesus 
and get them out of the way. And from the natural perspective, they accomplished their task. They put them on a cross and thought, all done. No more problem. But that didn't end the problem. That didn't solve the problem. It didn't end the issue. Uh, so God is at work at history. One of the things I want to remind you about in terms of prayer as we pray is that we serve a God who is equally, explicitly interested in what is going on in our world. Perhaps as much on the personal side as it is on the big side. You know, we think about all the things that are going on in our world and global conflict and and who's going to do what and who's going to push what button, whatever color it is, and it's going to cause this and that and just end up with World War III or Armageddon or whatever you want to call it. Uh, we get to worry. We get worried about that big picture. But, you know, God is very interested in our own history as much as he is the history of the world, if you will. So whatever it is that's on your agenda for the week, whatever it is that you're facing in a given week, God's interested in that as well. And it is a faith filled response of prayer that occurs in this portion of scripture. It God at work in history, but God at work also in theology. And here's a very fascinating verse 28. It says, here's Peter's declaration. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. In other words, nothing takes God by surprise. He, he's, he's just not surprised. He, 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 you know, I, I don't know how it all works. You know, I don't know if he's sitting on his throne and decides to tune in on City Light Church on Sunday morning, you know, and say, oh, they made it today. Good for them. Hey, rolled out instead of rolling over. Good for them. I don't, I don't suppose it gets into micromanaging from that side, although he is very personally interested in who we are and what we do. But God is at work in the theology of things. And the thing about that, that verse 28 is that there is nothing that has occurred or will occur that does not come through the grid of his grace that he is aware of. So nothing should take you by surprise because it doesn't take him by surprise. His grace is sufficient for you. So here's the church in Acts chapter 4. They're starting to feel the heat of, of conflict, the heat, heat of persecution, the heat of pressure from the outside. And, and, and it's not a picture of God sitting up there saying, Oh, no, I wonder what's going to happen to them. That's just not the picture. In, in Peter's opinion, it says, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Talk about a doctrine of, of the omniscience of God, the providence of God, and the purposes of God to be accomplished in our world, in our life. It's nothing that takes him at all by surprise. It is faith-filled. Another description, characteristic of their prayer. Their prayer was focused, verses 29 to 31. The prayer was focused. And so Peter's response, after, after they, they go to their own people, which was an interesting phrase back up in verse 23, Peter and John went back to their own people. In other words, they had a support group. They had a prayer group. They had the body of Christ, and we'll see what that body of Christ looked like next week when you get to verses 32 and following to the end of the chapter, what was characteristic of that. But they go back to their own people, and they share the information, and now that becomes fodder for their prayer. 
When I first began in ministry, I was in seminary, and I did a part-time pastoral ministry at Simpson Memorial Church. That sounds like a good Alliance church, doesn't it? Simpson Memorial Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. The lead pastor there was a fellow, dear man of God, called Jerry Wellborn. And Jerry uh, had uh, very much at the heart of his at the heart of his ministry the the focus and the place of personal cultivation of the relationship to God through the Word and prayer. And if there's anything you picked up from Jerry and hanging out with him, it was the priority of prayer and the, and the priority of his Word. And he he used the phrase he said. And I think he probably borrowed it from somebody like R.A. Torrey or somebody along the way. But he talked about prayers as being prayers are what we pour into the promises of God. And so when he would be praying for someone, he would often link a particular promise that God had given to him with that particular person. Maybe he was praying for somebody to come to faith in Christ. And so he would say, Father, I know that your word says that you are not willing that any should perish, but all might come to faith, all might come to repentance. He would use that promise of God and pour in the particular people that he was bathing in prayer, that the Spirit of God would work in advance of someone else coming alongside, whether it was him or anybody else, to bring the good news to them. And, and that, was, that was part of his whole approach. It was focused prayer. In this particular story, it was focused against several things. First, it was focused against opposition. Verse 29 says, Now, Lord, consider their threats. No one threatened you when you came to church today. Well, maybe somebody threatened you if you were late from church today, but nobody threatened you. You're not, you can't go to church today. You just you cannot do it. That was not... Here, the opposition is coming against the people of, uh, of God, the, the disciples. Consider their threats. Even short of persecution, the obstacles we face making Christ known to others are great. There are challenges we face. The anonymity of neighborhoods created by mobility. We, don't, we often don't know our neighbors anymore. Everybody's so busy. And in some communities, you know, you, you, people can drive home, push a button, go in their garage, and you won't see them again until they come out again from hibernation the, the next time. And it's, like, it's diff difficult, difficult to get into connections. Those are some of the challenges that we face. Entertainment industry that keeps sat people saturated with the world and numb to spiritual things. A thoroughly God-ignoring culture. A medical technology so advanced and so available that people seldom think of resorting to God for help. I'm not, I'm not opposed to medical help and all that kind of thing. But you go to the Father first. I think that's where he wants us to go. And, and, and rely upon the gifts that God has given to people. But the doctor doesn't heal you. He can surgically do something for you, but God is the one who ultimately causes healing and health. And sometimes he can, he can interrupt the normal schedule of things. That's what we call the miraculous intervention of God. And that's all a part of what it can be. These are the challenges that we face. On top of all of this is the relative weakness of the church 
which is very enmeshed in the values of the world they're supposed to be confronting by a radically different Christ. Now, these are challenges that we face. A.W. Tozer, oh, early on Alliance guy, passed away in 1963. It's about the time I was coming into the Alliance, he decided to depart for, depart for heaven. But fortunately, he wrote a few things down in the process, so we get to enjoy them from that. He says this, To be right with God has often meant to be in trouble with men. To be right with God has often meant that we are, can be in trouble with men. Not everybody beats to the same drum. And I realize that, that hanging out with, with people who are not of that faith, not of that faith-filled approach, sometimes has its bumps. Um, we, we, we went for a, a family outing. Uh, when we were in Erie, went to celebrate a brother's uh, belated brother's birthday. A family was in, went to Cleveland in ballgame. And the first time I'd ever been to uh, what is now Progressive Field, it used to be called the Jake, uh, but that was a whole other other thing. I, I go back far enough. I could I can remember when I went to Municipal Stadium in Cleveland, and that was really an old field. But anyway, be that as it may. So we went, and and not everybody in. My family is on the same page with me or with Barb and I, and so every once in a while you just get a little bit of a rub or a bump that occurs. You ever ever had that happen? Or maybe you live in an idyllic situation, but be that as it may, it, 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 not everybody beats marches to the same beat of a drum. So you come up on situations, and somebody says something, or somebody does something, or they misunderstand something, or whatever, and you have this kind of rub that occurs. I don't think it's hostility, you know, not violent opposition. Nobody threatened to do something unkind to me. Uh, but you, you have this kind of little rub of sorts that occurs from time to time. For you, maybe it's even more intense. Maybe it's just, maybe there's just out and out antagonism toward you. But the prayer that they were focused on was against opposition that came. Consider their threats. Lord, and it's not like like, Lord, you know about, you know the language, you know the words, you know the things that they're saying. They may not be true. They are not true. But you know all that stuff. Consider those threats. It was prayer focused against opposition. It was prayer more so for holy boldness. We want, we want it easy. We, we, want it, we want it calm and predictable and sane and reasonable and no opposition and no antagonism. We prefer that. But here they prayed for holy boldness in spite of or in light of the opposition that was coming. And in, here's the language. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I want to tell you this. This ought not to be new revelation. You will not have boldness without prayer. You will not have boldness without prayer. You will not have prayer without the Lord Jesus Christ inside of you to impassion and embolden you in that prayer. And when opposition comes from whatever source, whether it was well-intentioned dragons that are out there trying to hammer on you, or whether it's out-and-out -out opposition that comes, your prayer is, God, help us to stand for you, to speak your word with great boldness. And they also prayed for supernatural power. 
Verse 30 puts it this way. Stretch out your hands to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So I'm up for a praying for God to be set loose in a community of faith in order that his power might be demonstrated. And, 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 and if that means he interrupts the normal scheme of things and intervenes and causes health and healing to occur or a supernatural provision for something that you just didn't have a clue was going to happen, uh, I'm up for that. But, but sometimes, to use the language of Jesus, you don't have because you don't ask. And so we need to be people who are asking him boldly and with confidence in him. Okay, so those are characteristics of their prayer, and that's cool. What happened when they prayed that way? What happened when they when they prayed in, in the way in which they did? Verse 31 happened, and here's the language. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. What happened? The place was shaken. When's the last time God shook up City Light Alliance Church? You say, well, the last time it happened, we had a pastoral change. That shook us up. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what happens when the people of God get serious about this issue of the priority of prayer. And we begin to pray and we see something happen. See something happen. Now, Don, I had told you before to be ready to illustrate this in terms of, in terms of praying for people and seeing what God might do, even when you don't see results. You know what I'm talking about? Good. You take, take up, tell me a little bit about that in terms of prayer for. At West Piston, we would have a crusade for Christ about every three years. And we knew that if we were going to get any results from it, we had to have some concerted prayer. So we asked everybody in the congregation to fill out a list of at least 10, 10 people who they would pray for their salvation. We compiled that list and we were praying for over 1,200 people by name. There were about 18, 19 people in the church. There were some older people that didn't have a whole lot that they could do, but they could pray. And these people would be praying over this list of 1,200 people. Uh, when we would have a crusade, generally we would have at least 100 people who would come to, to, to know Christ. One Sunday morning, Man, young man came in. We had just uh, several months before that had taken a group of people through Share Jesus Without Fear uh, witnessing program. He was a bike tattoo from head to toe, great big guy. Um, he came into to service one Sunday morning. He was all excited because the day before he'd gone to the hospital. Uh, there was this other biker who was injured. They didn't know if he would live or die. Somebody that knew this man uh, asked if, if Mike would go and share Jesus with him. Mike went to share Jesus with him and had prayed for Jesus Christ. He was all excited about that. And I said, would you share that with the congregation this morning? He said, yes. So when he got up to share, uh, I went back into the office and I got my list of people that we were praying for. And as he shared what he had done the day before, when he was finished, I took the list to him, I pointed to a name, and I said, would you read that name? And he 
read the name and he was he was flabbergasted. He said, Well, that's the man. Hmm. I said, We've been praying for him for over 15 years to come to Christ. Prayer works. Mm-hmm. And, and if, if we're serious about reaching people, yeah, there you go. That's good. That's good. And that's why, probably not all why, but you remember several weeks ago now, we gave you that most wanted list piece for prayer. You know, people on that list, I don't know, that may have lost, it may be dusty somewhere. I want to encourage you to pull that because this place and priority of prayer, the place was shaken. Um, would we be courageous enough to say, Lord, shake us. Would we be courageous enough to pray that way? That's what happened when they prayed. The place was shaken. It almost reflects back to Acts chapter 2 and the Pentecost experience. And, 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 and then the, the, the follow-up from that uh, in terms of that prayer, they, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I can envision, uh, and I don't know if that was a, First time experience for some of those, or if it was just a subsequent filling, I suspect it may have been a combination of both. But certainly there's always room in our lives for the person and work of the Holy Spirit. But they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And the scriptures say they spoke with tongues. No, what does it say? They, there we are. Well, they spoke the word of God. How? Boldly. See, what was their prayer earlier? Lord, tender the threats, give us boldness. God answers the prayer. It's, 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 this is not rocket science. At that point, they spoke the word of God boldly. So what happens next? Well, we get into the fifth chapter eventually, and I'd like to tell you that that uh, at the end, at, in the fifth chapter, now they go from 2,000 to 5,000, and then they go to 15,000 and 20,000, and things go along just hunky-dory fine. But let me give you the story. Verse Chapter 5, verse 12, the apostles performed many miracles after they prayed. Verse 14, many people were saved. Well, you say that's about the way it should work. Verse 16, the crowds gather around the apostles. Verse 18, the apostles are arrested and thrown in jail. Oh, wait, oh, that's not fair. That's not fair. Verse 19, God sets them free by a miracle in the middle of the night. That's cool. Verse 21, the apostles resume their public preaching. Verse 27, the apostles are questioned by the high priest who reminds them of the order not to preach in the name of Jesus. Remember that thing back in Acts chapter 4 we told you about? Oh, I need a reminder. In, in verse 29, Peter replies, we must obey God rather than men. Verse 30, Peter preaches to the Sanhedrin. Verse 40, the apostles are beaten and released. Oh, that's getting really nice now. Verse 41, they leave the council rejoicing. Verse 42, they continue preaching the gospel everywhere. So it, it, it can come with a variety of experiences, but they were shaken. God moved in and among them, and therein is the power. Let me simply put it this way. You can't escape the place of prayer in the early church. What makes us think for even a moment that we can accomplish the work of God in Wilkes-Barre any other way. The hymn writer puts it this way. The arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. Okay. That's good counsel. 
When our prayer is characterized by the descriptions above, it will make all the difference to a watching world. You see, it is not about us. It's about him. And uh, we're going to worship him as we close. And just that reminder to our hearts, again, pause with me for prayer. We're grateful, Father, for the truth and the simplicity of your word. We get so educated and overdone on things that we miss the simplicity of things. And uh, when all of the commotion and all of the hoopla stops, we need to be reminding ourselves that it is all about you, Jesus. So, in that place of prayer, in that role of prayer, help us not to be found anemic and lacking and out to lunch. But will you shake us for the glory of God, personally and corporately? In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we close. So, Father, um, when we make life for us more about other things than you, we get into trouble. We become idolaters and worship a lot of things and have a lot of things that are more important than you. We know that this core value of prayer must for us as a church be uh, more powerful and so we only ask that you would do your work anew and afresh among us today so that the greater glory of God will be advanced in this place and it will not come without a cost. And that's the cost of prayer. So take every word said, that which is helpful, help us to retain. That which is peripheral, we'll let that go. But may we catch the passion of people who are in love with Jesus and talk to him and talk together to him, all for the greater glory of God. Thank you for the time together today. Bless, I pray, this people as they have entered to worship and now they get to exit to serve. Empower them. Give them holy boldness for the greater glory of God. In the name of Christ we pray. And all God's people say, Amen and Amen. Be sure you greet one another. God bless you as you go.